37 this morning. And the big idea of, of this particular um, message is that we can love our neighbor by being merciful to others, just as God is merciful to us. And I want to I pause here by saying that we can go ahead and open our app. Uh, the, the, uh, the outline or the notes are in our app under sermon notes. But here's what I want to caution us and say. Here's the caution. Um, we are trying to experiment here, right? I mentioned this to Nivia and Javon that we're trying to experiment with whether I put the notes before the sermon or after the sermon or just flat not at all, right? And so what I don't want us to do is just like, like keep our, our eyes in our phone uh, during the message, um, and so, but I just want to let you know that the, the notes are in there, the outline is in there, and there's a little field in there that I put in there as well for you to take extra notes um, if you want to. And it gives you the opportunity to save the notes, I guess, to your phone or email it um, uh, to yourself as well. Now, I'm not sure how some of that works, so you may you may save it or email it to yourself, and some of it may save some may not i don't know yet right but i just want to let you know that the outline is there um for you to take a look at okay um and it's we're basically experimenting with that and so um and so amen um hope hope that works out for us um and so you know we exhibit god's love to our neighbors when we remember that we too are in need of God's mercy. We're in need of God's mercy as well, right? And I think this is something that we have to remember in order to express mercy to our neighbors, right? And so we started this series last week looking at a few examples of compassion, right? And talking about focusing on a more um, and, and on, on more undeserved parts of our neighbor, our neighborhood and community, those who are, you know, maybe disabled or, or don't have what we have, right? And so this week, we're still answering the question of who is our neighbor, but what we're going to do this week is focus more on mercy and being merciful. So let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in prayer, God, just so grateful for your love. We're grateful for your grace, but we are indeed grateful for your mercy, Father, the mercy that you've shown us. I pray that our hearts open wide to your word this morning. I pray that you send the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning and that Holy Spirit will be in charge of this message from you. I pray that this will not be opinion, but this will be a Holy Spirit driven message. Thank you so much for all you do. Guide us this morning. For your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, this powerful scene from Inviticus, it's a it's a movie that that was directed by Clint Eastwood. It recounts the story of Nelson Mandela insisting that his leaders extend forgiveness to the very people that sinned against them and, and previously wanted them dead. And so let's watch this for a moment. 
Oops, one second here. Well, yeah, we played it early and it worked, so... Hold on one second. Always something. doesn't show that on my screen. Give me one second here. I got it. Give me one second. You look agitated, Jason. That's because we are first person bunch cops in our office. Oh, what did you do? Nothing. They say they have the presidential photographs and they have orders signed by you. You are familiar then, didn't you? Yes, sir. I asked her um, when people see me in public, they see my bodyguards. You represent me directly. The Rainbow Nation starts here. Reconciliation starts here. Reconciliation, sir. Yes, reconciliation, Jason. Comrade President. Not long ago, these guys tried to kill us. Maybe you, these four guys in my office, tried and often succeeded. Yes, I know. Forgiveness starts here too. Forgiveness liberates the soul. It removes fear. That is why it is such a powerful weapon. Wow. Wow. Forgiveness removes fear. Forgiveness removes fear. Sometimes when we when we talk about our neighbors, right, and we talk about our neighborhood, right, and reaching out to our neighbors, our friends, when we reach out to our, our think about talking to our, our 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 friends, even in school teens, right? Sometimes we we have this fear, right, this anxiety, right? Even the ones who have maybe harmed us or teased us or made us made us feel bad, right? And what, is it, what does he say? Forgiveness removes fear. Right? How amazing is that? Yeah. That forgiveness may remove fear. You know, in an even greater way, God extends mercy to us even though we continually reject him. He continues 
to extend mercy to us. Brothers and sisters, we have a merciful God. In Titus 3, 5, it talks about the fact that it is because of God's mercy that we are saved. And when Paul describes how, how God intervened in his life, he says, I received mercy, 1 Timothy 1.13. That he received mercy. But yet sometimes we find it difficult to be merciful to others. We have received all of this mercy. All this mercy we have received while we are even sitting here today. But we find it so difficult at times to be merciful to others. We find it challenging to even understand what mercy is. But yet we are products of mercy. And so this is consistently possible. Why? Because Jesus saw through the eyes of mercy. Jesus, when Jesus looks out, when, when he looks and sees, he sees through a lens of mercy. Today, he sees through eyes of mercy. This is how Jesus sees us. This is how we need to see others through this lens of mercy. When we walk our neighborhoods, we need to see through a lens of mercy. When we go in our schools as teens, as, as young adults, as campus students, we need to see through a lens of mercy. When we look at our neighbor, how do you see them? We need to see through this lens of mercy. When they leave their trash can out too long, we need to see through a lens of mercy. When they pull their car up near your driveway and you are blocked and you can't really get out. Trust me, it happens. I know. You need to see through a lens of mercy. When they do something to irritate you, they leave their music on pretty loud. They leave their garage door open all day long. And it's not clean in their garage. You need to see through a lens of mercy. When their kids are riding their bikes across your lawn because you don't have a fence, you need to see through a lens of mercy. That's why we put up a fence, by the way. You need to see through a lens of mercy, which leads us this morning to our example of seeing our neighbor through a lens of mercy. And being a merciful neighbor. Very similar. It's a very similar passage to the one we read last week in Mark. Still reiterating the question of who is my neighbor. Luke 10, 25 through 37. It starts out by saying, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? You know, this is usually a question that is asked about, you know, that we ask sometimes even studying the Bible with people. We say, what do you think the scripture is talking about here? And so he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your, your neighbor as what? Yourself. 
You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? That's the big question here that Jesus is about to answer is who is my neighbor? He's about to spell this out and, and give a total, complete answer of who our neighbor is. In reply, Jesus says a man is going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. This man is laying down here naked, has no clothes on, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man... On his own donkey brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law. In the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Do the same thing. Imitate. Do just like he just did. Right away, we see that the neighbors, that neighbors do for each other. But we're going to unpack this further. An example of mercy. See, this parable is Jesus' answer to the very question that was asked, who is my neighbor? And it may sound like a very simple question to us, but who is our neighbor? You know, this is a parable about mercy. And according to Jesus, mercy has two parts. First, there is this tenderness of heart, right, that we see here in this example. When he saw him, he took pity on him. So there's this part where, we, where there's this vision of seeing the person and taking pity. Second, there's, a, there's this action that arises from, from a compassionate heart. He went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. You know, as we, as we venture through this passage this morning, ask yourself if your heart is moved by this. Is your heart tender towards your neighbor? And do you act? Do you act in this kind of way towards your neighbor? And so here's the example of mercy here that we see in this passage, right? In the parable of the Good Samaritan, we are presented with, with the tale of a man who's, who's fallen prey to robbers, right? He's fallen prey to robbers on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. 
and is left without any means or, or, or capability of taking care of himself and care for himself. He's laying there, he's naked, he's beaten up on this road. And if we understand the road from Jerusalem to Jericho, it's this road that is a, is, is a long road here, right? So let's, let's get some perspective here. This is this road that is about 18 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And it's this long, windy, rickety road. It's, it's, it's covered with rocks. And, and it's, it's, it's about 3,600 feet. You know, the, the drop is about 3,600 feet. Scary looking place. Right, Jericho um, is down by the, you know, this, this, the, the drop. Jericho is down by the Dead Sea, right, below sea level, and the road has a bunch of sharp twists and turns, and it's dangerous. And in fact, it had earned the nickname the Bloody Way. Pretty scary, because it was this hot spot for thieves and for robbers. Because they knew that people are going to travel this long way from Jerusalem to Jericho all the time. And a lot of scholars speculate that this isn't really a parable. That this happened for real. That this isn't just some story or parable that we read about the Good Samaritan. That Jesus is actually telling you something that happened. True story from the day. True story, probably about racial injustice. Similar to how we would speak of racial injustice in more recent history. So let's move on from that and go and talk about now the priests and the Levites. The religious members of the man's community had the power to show him compassion. These two. Both the priests and the Levite had this power. So the priest, this is a man who is responsible for bringing the sacrifices before God in the temple. The Levite, a man who served in the outer courts of the temple or the synagogue, they chose to walk by on the other side of the room. Now it's easy for you and I, 2,000 years later, right? And on the other side of the world, to look down at the priest and the Levite, right? It's easy for us to read this probably historical account. And to look at them and say, that's just ridiculous for them to do this. So a bit of context may be in order. The priests and the Levites, they worked at the temple in Jerusalem. But most of them lived maybe 18 miles away in Jericho. And they worked on a probably a two-week rotation, and then they, they came home with their pay for all of their two weeks' work, right? Walking home with their pay after two weeks, 18 miles. Traveling home 18 miles. They don't get in their cars like you and I, Right? And drive home. Right? They walk it on this crazy road. 
And the pay was not in the form of coins or money or, or direct deposit into their bank accounts. Right? Not in the form of allowance, guys. Right? For mowing the lawn or doing whatever. Right? They were paid in tithes and offerings of people at the temple. And the currency was in the form of probably in an animal or grain offering. It's in the form of food. And so like in, for instance, in Leviticus 21 and through 23, there are all sorts of laws about food sanitation. I guess we would call that today kosher. And so if any of your food came into contact with somebody or something that was unclean, such as a man naked and bleeding to death on the side of the road, all of that food would need to be thrown out. All of that two weeks worth of food would need to be thrown out. So imagine you're a priest or a Levite and you just got off of two weeks long work at the temple and you're dead tired and you're in route going home. You're on a, on a dangerous road like you just, you just want to get through as fast as possible because you don't want to be robbed either, right? You don't want to be robbed going home so somebody would just take all you got, probably even beat you up. And, and there's yet another victim on the side of the road because you've seen it before. You know, there's a movie that's coming out right now and I see the trailer for it all the time. And throughout the entire trailer, they're like, nope. Nope. You guys probably seen it. They're like, nope. Like, I'd be walking down that, you know, these, these, these priests and the Levites, they're probably walking and they're like, they're seeing these, these bodies are beating up people and they're like, nope. Nope. Not going to stop. Nope. Right? And they're walking down there and I can imagine them saying that. He's as good as dead anyway, they're probably saying. And if you stop to help, the odds are high that your food for your family, for your children, for your wife, for your tribe is all a waste. Now, what they do, of course, is wrong. But you can imagine. You would at least feel that pull. This talk just to ignore it all. Just, I mean, that pull, right? Just to ignore it. To not do anything about it. Because here you have all your earnings for two weeks. Many of us wouldn't want to part with one day's pay. Much less two entire weeks worth of food for our family. And again, I'm not saying it's right, but you can at least imagine the pull. Touching the man according to Jewish law would have made them unclean and unable to enter the temple and serve before God. So that's not only to two weeks, but it's another probably two weeks worth. Because adherence to religious traditions was more important to priests and the Levites than caring for the needs of the man 
right in front of them. So what does that affect? It affects the fact that in focusing on the letter of the law, they completely miss the spirit of God's law. To love God and to love others. The two greatest commandments. Their inaction exposed their pride and revealed them as devoid of mercy and compassion. You see how easy that happens. You see how easy that can happen in our lives. That tug and that pull. And I'm not only I'm not only preaching this for you, I'm preaching this for me too, guys. That tug and this pull pull. Because I think we all have this to work on. Is there anything tugging at you today? Tugging you away from being merciful with your neighbor. Teens, being merciful with your friends. Or even just being a neighbor. So let's talk a little bit about this hero that comes along, right? If you were first century Jew and you were hearing this story for the first time, the second Jesus said Samaritan, your jaw would have dropped and you'd be so surprised and not know what to do with yourself for a few reasons. Right? One, there was this trifecta of religious professionals at the temple that was common from the day. There was the priests, right, at the top level. And then after the priest, you had the Levite, and then below that was the Jewish layperson who wasn't really a part of clergy, wasn't being paid to be a religious person. Right. If that makes sense. And there was a social hierarchy where the priest was at the top. Right. And then the and the Jewish person was at the bottom. They were like the poor guy. So the priest was making all the money. And then you have the Jewish guy who was down here. He was like the poor of them all. And so now if you hear a story about a priest and then you hear the, about the Levite, who are you expecting to be next up in the story? You're expecting the Jewish guy, right? The poor guy. Because what would Jesus do? Right? He would tell all this story. He would talk about the priest who turned his back on this guy. He would talk about the Levite who turned his back on this guy. And then next up in the story, because what? Jesus loves the poor, right? Jesus talks about the poor all the time. So what does Jesus do? Jesus would probably make the poor guy the champion of the story, right? Because that's what Jesus does. Right? That's classic Jesus. He would make the poor guy the champion, the superstar, the hero. But does Jesus do that? Instead, he says the Samaritan. Now here's the thing about the Samaritan. He's not even a Jew. They're a whole other ethnic group, an ethnic group from up in the north. Right. Here's here's a little bit of backstory to get your head around this. Right. There was a, a long standing racial tension. That was centuries old between the Samaritans in the north and the Jews in the south in the in the, in the seventh century B.C. The Samaritans are despised by the Jews because they were seen as impure people. They were descended 
they were des des descended from Jews who had intermarried with the people who were settled in Israel during the Assyrian Empire. Empires ruled over the land. You can look at 2 Kings 17, 24 through 40 about that. And the Samaritans created their own place of worship and were excluded from entering the Jewish temple because they were mixed descent. They were considered half-breeds and didn't worship the God of Israel according to their strict Jewish observances. And so the Jews saw Samaritans as half-breeds and heretics, and Samaritans saw the Jews as racist and cruel people. And so these two ethnic groups hated each other. And they were at war with each other. So you look at these two people and you're like, oh my gosh, they can't stand being around each other. They want to kill each other. They want to go off on each other. They just want to have war with each other. And so it kind of makes you understand a little bit about where Jesus is going with telling this, this true story that happens. And who does Jesus make the hero in this story? The Jewish people? No. A Samaritan. The enemy. The half-breed. Samaritans would have would have suffered the injustices of racial prejudice from any Israelites they came into contact with. And it was quite possible the wounded man in this story, the naked man who was bleeding out, is quite possible, guess what? He was Jewish. That neighbor was probably Jewish. How amazing is that? And if he only had the energy to tell him to leave him be, he'd probably do it. Who knows? And so because of this, the Samaritan had every right to even walk away. Because their people were at war. And he had every right to walk away. What did it have to do with him if a Jewish person was sitting there, laying there, wounded, bleeding, dying, in such a state? What did it have to do with him? Didn't he, did he even have his own people to take care of him? Jewish people that were traveling this road all day long, 18 miles, passing down from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have had his own people to take care of him. But instead of ignoring the man's need, the Samaritan showed compassion. Not the priest, not the Levite. The Samaritan showed compassion by first caring for the man's injuries and then covering the cost of his time spent recovering without requiring payment. From the wounded man. Here is more of the power of the relationship between the Jews and the Samaritan. Is that when Jesus finished telling this parable. He asked. Which of these three 
do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer responded, the one who showed him mercy. Now check this out. He didn't even have the decency to call him by the name or say the Samaritan. This Jewish man or this, or this teacher didn't even have the decency to say the Samaritan. He wouldn't even come out of his mouth. He just said the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even say the Samaritan. How powerful is that? He couldn't even he couldn't even muster up the respect of this man who showed mercy to a naked man, a naked Jew, dying on the side of the streets to say the Samaritan was the hero. He just said the one. And you see. That is how we behave sometimes. How merciful are we, guys, to people? You know, the Samaritan expressed true mercy. This should be truly convicting. And I wanted to harp on that one for a bit. But another example of mercy, which we'll just fly through here pretty quick, is that Jesus gives another example of what mercy and forbearance looks like in the parable of the unforgiving debtor. In Matthew 18, 21 through 35. And here we see a man who owes a debt that cannot be repaid in his lifetime. And under Roman law, the man and his family should have been sold into Slavery until he could cover his debt. And the Roman rule of manumission, which is release from slavery, the Roman rule is it allows the enslaved to work toward their freedom. But depending on the debt, it could take generations to pay that off. And conditions would be brutal. It's not like they're going to treat you nice. It could be brutal. And so knowing this, the man begged. He begged for the king's forbearance of his debt. Meaning he begged that the king would refrain from all of that, all that he would do to him. From enforcing the debt in that way. He begged for that, promising to repay it all. All the while, he knew that such a task would be impossible. Right. However, when he found himself in a situation where the roles were reversed, he threw the man who owed him a small debt into debtor's prison and demanded that the debt be repaid in full before the man could be released. And so the master deals with him ever so severely because of what he did. So... He was shown mercy, but he didn't pass it on. We are shown mercy 
Are we passing it on? Are we passing it on? Are we passing on the same mercy that we have been shown? And you know who's you know who has the ability to show mercy? Here's the thing about mercy. The thing about mercy is that only people with power have the ability to show mercy. Which was interesting with the Samaritan, by the way. See, the Samaritan, because their people were at war, when he sees this Jew lying there naked, half dead, the reason why the teacher said the one who showed mercy was because the teacher knew that he had the power to do otherwise to this man. Their people were at war. The Jews and the Samaritans were at war. What do you think a mean Samaritan would have done? He would have finished them off. And so the teacher of the law said, the one who showed mercy. That's what he showed him. Instead of just finishing him off. And so the king showed mercy to this debtor because he could have finished him off. And so when we see our neighbor, we need to be showing mercy. Not that we can finish them off, but we have relationships. We have people in our neighborhood that we need, that who are maybe in a position where they need help. Spiritual Help. And we must show mercy. Because we were shown mercy. And so we are accountable to show mercy. Unlike the parable of the Good Samaritan in which the priest and the Levite disappear down the road, never to be heard of again. The parable of the unforgiving servant shows us that God holds us accountable when we fail to be merciful to those around us. Any form of disobedience puts us outside of God's perfect will for us. Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, we are reminded that as our Father, God can and does discipline us in order to bring us to repentance or alignment with Him. Because of his love for us. When we fail to show mercy to those who genuinely seek to reconcile with us, we show disregard for them. And for the mercy God has shown us. And so, how can we show mercy in practical ways? Here are just a few things before we end here. While we land this plane. Here's some practical things we can do. You know, there are times when acts of mercy come with a personal cost and require us to release a debt, right? Like, like we just saw here in that example. Release a debt um, someone owes us. Whether it be forgiving someone of a financial debt or, or choosing not to pursue, pursue legal action for an inadvertent wrong it may cost us right think about that but sometimes showing mercy can be as simple as choosing 
not to blare our horns, for instance, and yell when someone cuts us off in traffic. Because we can, right? We can do it. But we don't because we're reminded of the times that we ourselves have forgotten to signal and look over our shoulder when we are distracted or in a hurry. Just coming out of my community this morning, I was about to do it. And I was like, oh, I'm about to preach that this morning. (laughs) Amen. Let me try to get through there. Because he was just stopped right there in like, Right in right in the in the exit of the community. With like this much for me to get through. Just stopped. And I'm like, alright, I could probably squeeze through. Mercy can be shown by choosing not to gossip about the family member who is trying to get their life back on track, but who still struggles to make the best choices. I've fallen short big time in this area. Okay? Just being honest. And mercy can be shown by paying the bill for a stranger in front of you whose card has been unexpectedly declined. Mercy. Another way is to show mar- another way to show mercy is presenting the gospel to someone who is not yet a believer or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Mercy. I mentioned earlier, mercy is, is, is things that we have the power to do in our communities, in our neighborhoods. When we complain about our neighbor, mercy is just to help out. Mercy is just to help out. If their garbage can is in the way, just go out and move it. Help them out. If their lawn is getting too thick or too high or whatever, mercy is just the offer to cut it. Mercy. That's These are things that help us to be good neighbors. These are things that help us to reach out to our neighbors and be kind, be merciful, be compassionate. Mercy is when... People in your neighborhood, they're just not talking to each other. They're grumpy. They're whatever. And mercy is just saying, hey, let me bake them some pastries just to let them know that I see you. I know you're there. Mercy. Jesus was merciful. God is merciful. When we show mercy to our neighbor, We cover their shame and we become a living extension of the compassion and forbearance that God has shown us through Christ Jesus our Lord. And let him reign forever and ever. And to God be the glory. Amen. Many men. Can we give another hand for JD? That was so convicting because sometimes it can be really easy um, to even love people that I'm in close uh, proximity with. But God has called us to love all people. Mm